the European Championships on Caught Offside. It's Modric! It's brilliant! The class of Luka Modric comes to the fore. And the shot from Chris Dixon finds the net. Denmark are doing this in style. It's pandemonium in the parking. Can they get the shot in? Werner into a forest of legs. There it is! Leon Goretzka! Goretzka might have saved Germany! Now here's Andrew Gunling and J.J. Deben. from the Upper West Side of Manhattan and only the Upper West Side of Manhattan, Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney together again. What's up, brother? I am, I am so giddy. This is fantastic. This feels amazing. You look magnificent in the, the dim light of the Upper West Side as the sun sets on what was an unbelievable day of football. And it's worth saying this as well, that... I bloody love football. I do. We are broadcasting for the first time in our brand new, I mean, not so brand new anymore, but for us, it's the first time we've had a chance to broadcast together in person in the new Caught Offside Towers. It's the first time we've done a show together, JJ. Do you know the last day that we did a show where you and I were both in studio together? March 12th. March 12th. 2020. I actually have here the last words said on that podcast that we did together. I hope they weren't rancorous or bitter. No, no, but here's the, here's the last things we said to each other before today when we're in person doing a show together again. Okay, guys, stay safe. Yeah, for um, real. Keep, keep uh, cdc.org and um, look after each other, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And keep in touch with us because I'll tell you what, we got a big mailbag special coming around the bend. <laughs> this, this, I'm glad that we did this, honestly. This was important, and uh, I guess I'll see you next week. All right, man. Take care. You too. Take you later, fun boy. Listening back, JJ, to some of that podcast was so weird. It was because the world has obviously changed so profoundly um, since that since that podcast was recorded on March twelfth, twenty twenty, and like to hear us say "stay safe," you know, like we we knew obviously at that point something wild was happening. But there we were, still recording next to one another, no masks. Like no, we didn't even. Everyone knew how messed up the situation was, but like the gravity of it hadn't hit yet. And like knowing all of it now, God, it's just weird thinking back to those days. And, and there was uncertainty in our voices. There was yeah. this sense of, I don't know what's coming next. Right. So the next week you were able to do your end from home and I did mine. I was still in studio yeah. from March 19th. And then after that, until today, we were at home, our respective homes for every single podcast. And we're so pumped to... Chris in the studio today because, uh, my God, the, the group stage of this tournament uh, of the Euros was – it came to a thrilling conclusion in various groups. There's a lot to get to. You heard there the, the audio from Derek Ray and John Champion, great calls from, from both of those guys um, for the, uh, the Modric goal, the Goretzka goal today, of course the, uh, the Christensen goal for Denmark the other day. I guess we'll get J.J. I mean, obviously now we know what the knockout stage is going to look like. So we're going to get to that portion of the show in a little bit where we go through some of the matchups because the bracket has broken out in a fascinating way. And we'll talk about how that's gone down. But first, let's kind of give like an overall recap of the group stage uh, because there's a lot to get to. And I guess we'll start with what happened today, the, the group of death and the way this shook out. And I can only sit here 
and think about our group preview for the group of death. Right. And how justifiably dismissive, I would say, we were of Hungary's chances. And to see how hard they fought against France to earn a point, and then to see the position that they were in today in the 84th minute before the Goretzka goal happened, I mean, for them to put up that fight and come up just short, your heart breaks for the team just a little bit. Um, But in the end, they took the scenic route, but the three teams that we thought would get through do, in fact, get through. Yeah, it it, it was looking for a long time like Hungary would do not the unthinkable, because you talked about the France game. Look at the Portuguese game. Look how long they held on in that. Mm -hmm. This is a better team. Uh, Today would have been, well, today is because it was a 2-2 draw. We're acting like they were beaten. They weren't beaten. Right. Uh, That would have been their 13th, I believe, unbeaten game. That's an incredible record for a country that we dismissed. Um, I do think that there was a huge portion of luck in what happened to Germany today. I think if you look at the the Gulashi mistake that put them back in the game. Now, Hungary went down the field and scored to go ahead. But even the Goretzka goal, did you not sense at that moment that... uh, Yogi Love was just throwing everything, the kitchen sink at it. Kevin Volland. I mean, he pretty get, much had to. Yeah, but this was, I don't know. If I, I don't want to jump ahead, so I won't jump ahead. But I'm saying if I'm a team that's going to meet them in the next round, I'm hugely concerned about what, about what this team is offering right now. I would say no. Be careful. I know. Because you don't write off the Germans. Don't ever. All right. Don't ever. Um, yeah, looking at France, obviously they were the the class, not just of this group, but of the tournament coming in. Um, interesting, fascinating game that they had with Portugal today. Yeah. One of the things, two things stood out to me about France in this performance and throughout the group stage. The first one being, um, boy, the inclusion of Kareem Benzema in this squad has certainly made a difference. Like there was part of me when we were talking about them at the beginning was like, well, they already are, are defending World Cup champions. Like, how much better can they get? Well, they can get better. I mean, he's obviously he's one of the best strikers in the world. Him being on a team that doesn't score a ton of goals uh, or, or plays, like you say, a, what, a more conservative style. Plays a little bit with the handbrake on, considering the talent they have at their disposal. Right. So then to add Benzema's skill level to Mbappe's skill level that's already up there in attack, it matters. It certainly matters, well, and he's played an important role for them. I agree with you, and think of it this way. Think of the ball in behind uh, for his goal today. The goal that he, I mean, he had to do the classic now modern VAR wait. You know, usually they're ruled out. It was wait for the VAR, and then it was it was allowed. But look at that run. Giroud can make that run, but he hasn't got the legs of Benzema, and that is the difference. Um, but France, for me, Griezmann is so important to them. Pogba is so important to them. He's the other one I wanted to mention. Okay. Because I know you talked about it on last week's podcast. You kind of you, you dipped your toe in the praise Pogba waters, which are waters that we don't often frequent when we talk so much Manchester United and EPL. Um, but he had been good so far in this tournament, and then today I thought he was amazing. Um, he set up the initial France goal by playing in that ball on the kind of one-two with Mbappe that set up the penalty. Right. He played in the ball. I mean, what a pass it was. That was him to Benzema, right, for the second goal? Do you know, Andrew, I'm not even 100% sure that that was him, and I don't think it was, but that wouldn't be to take away from his general performance again today because he was picking out passes, and he needs to do that because, like I said, France plays such a conservative, such a, a cautious style. Well, also the shot attempt that he took 
after Portugal had tied it at two, um, the way he created space to get the shot off that Rui Patricio wound up getting a hand to and tipping onto the post, which was a brilliant save in its own right. But just like Pogba's ability to kind of like stutter step with the ball, create the space, get the shot off, I, I think he's having a great tournament. He really is. He played the pass to Kareem Benzema, no, to excuse me, Kylian Mbappe rather, for the what can only be described as the pass interference penalty, which was... Uh, I mean, we'll probably talk a little bit more about Hugo Lloris, which I thought was... Talk, you can talk about it right now. Right, all right. I thought Hugo Lloris's was... And I'm, I'm going against... I'm, I'm, I'm dipping my toe in some more waters, Andrew, that we rarely do. I'm dipping my toe in the waters of disagreeing with David Priest. <gasps> yeah. Those are waters that toes have not I been in. I hope he's not listening. No, but he felt as if it wasn't a penalty that he got enough of the ball. I think it was ex- not excessive force, but it was endangering an opponent. I mean, he, he not only did he punch Danilo, he caught him with his forearm too. I mean, Stone Cold Steve Austin stuff here. And so, that probably wasn't Stone Cold Steve Austin's signature move. Whatever. So that that's a penalty. And there was a sense that the referee was evening the playing field with the penalty that he gave for Kylian Mbappe. I don't think that's enough. I think Mbappe was clever. He runs across, was it Semedo? I'm not sure. It was Semedo, yes. Yeah. Um, because I'll tell you, and if I keep saying I'm not sure, guys, that's because I did something. I broke my own rule. I watched two games. I flicked between the two. You I know had, what they say. You see no game. If you're watching two games, you're not watching any. That is true. Um, so so bear with me. Uh, but that wasn't, to me, that wasn't a penalty. That really wasn't a penalty. And the referee was maybe evening the playing field a little bit with that one. But it was Pogba that played the pass, and it was a, a very prescient pass, too. Um, I could have oh, sworn he pa- he made that pass to Benzema too. Maybe I mean, he, our, our listeners will correct us if, if whoever's. Of right course or they will. It was actually a very good ball, but I think it came from like the inside right right back position. So I mean, with the way France played, that probably was him. But um, but again, uh, Benzema with the pace to get in behind, bend his run. You got to wonder about the centre backs for Portugal. The Portuguese defence was exposed a bit against Germany. Now going into the knockout round, that's going to be another question mark. Another two goals conceded today. That's six. In two games conceded by by Portugal, um, but yeah, no, I think um, I think today was it was so interesting, and I kind of found I I don't know if I found out that much more about France today. I don't think I did. I think Portugal were beginning to find out where their Achilles' heel might be, the fullbacks and possibly even, heaven forbid, the centre back positions. Wouldn't have thought that coming in. Mm. I mean, certainly with Ruben Diaz occupying one of those spaces. I mean, it's probably foolish to say that one one of those affects the other. If your fullbacks are, are problematic defensively, that's going to cause problems for your centre-backs. They have to come out, out of the centre a little bit more. You can't be as compact. You leave gaps. Um, but you can't have been impressed with Portugal over the last two games. Not, no, not, not really. really. No. But they do get through. They do get through, which is really all that matters in the group stage. You Obviously, you want style points. You want it to look good, but... It doesn't have to. No. And, and oftentimes teams that don't always look great in the group stage do wind up going deep in tournaments. Yeah. So Or being champions I like mean, Portugal. Well, remember, I was about to say, Portugal didn't win a game in the group stage yeah. five years ago. Uh, let's move on, JJ, to England. They win their group, speaking of teams that may not have looked good but got through the group stage. Um, it's. I guess the question that I'm wondering is whether or not we've seen the best from them. Now, the answer is... No, I don't think we have. I think most people would agree with that. But I guess the question beyond that is, will we ever see the best from them? Or much in the way that we talk, that you've t- spoken a lot about with France, playing with the handbrake on, is that just going to be what England are? 
And if it is, if that is in fact what England wind up being throughout this tournament, is that okay? I mean, we, we've seen them essentially play that style uh, at the World Cup in 2018, and they rode it to a World Cup semifinal. We're seeing it again, and they've at this point they've rode it to winning their group. Like maybe this is just kind of the way France won a World Cup playing this way. Portugal won the Euros for the most part playing this way, especially in the final against France, where they made no attempt really to attack. Like maybe this is just an effective way of getting through a tournament. Can can I say something, Andrew? You stumbled upon a larger question for this podcast that we're going to have to face this summer with the U.S. men's national team. Mm-hmm. We talk about style. We talk about Triple G, playing out from the back, being good in transition, all this stuff. Maybe most of it doesn't matter. <laughs> Maybe you don't have any time to do this at international level. Not usually. Maybe you get a team together, you get as easy a style to imprint upon that side, and you go for it. Maybe that's it. Now, the problem with that is that England fans have never, going back to England, England fans have never looked at their at their national team in that way. Even when they've been bad, they've expected more. I'll ask you this question, and it, it's not to put you on the spot. Mm-hmm. In Garrett Southgate's reign, so since 2017, since Big Sam and the Pint of Wine, when has been the performance where you've gone, man, wow. So, unfortunately, I'm going to have a hard time pinpointing... What, well, qualifiers. <laughs> right, because it's it, not what, an it easy wasn't, thing to remember. Well, it, I mean, they win all of them. But I've got to believe somewhere along the way they might have had one against like the Faroe Islands where I would have been like, well, that was good. I, I don't know. I'm thinking about major tournaments. But this is a team that got to a World Cup semifinal. Well, their Columbia game, I mean, they had games that were... Exciting. Right. Like, the, But that's not the same thing as, oh my God, look at the way this team is playing. Look at it linking together. Well, the thing is, they do it in spurts. I mean, it can and ha- so I, I think the fact that we see that we see it from them for 15 minutes, like the first 15 minutes of this tournament, when you know Foden hit the post and then Sterling had a chance, you, you start you start to think, oh, well, like this is what England fans have been waiting for. And then Croatia got a foothold in that first game, and it kind of has not. It would they never switched on really against Scotland. No, against Czech Republic again, spurts early in the game. You know, you got the first half goal from Sterling, um, but. Yeah, they're not doing it for ninety minutes. I, I can tell you, it, you were right. It was. Uh, it wasn't a qualifier. It was a Nations League game. Okay. Against Spain, remember the three-two. Okay. It was very exciting. It was in the feel-good year of twenty eighteen. So it was in the fall of that twenty eighteen. It was one of the first Nation League, Nations League games they played, uh, and that was really exciting, really open. Um, but that's it. And so, if they're going to win a tournament, guys, it's not going to be with like. Bicycle kicks from Jaden Sancho and Jude Bellingham coming off the bench to rifle run home in the last. It's it's probably not going to be that way. It's going to be more similar to what we saw in the final group game yesterday against the Czech Republic. So the thing that I will say on on behalf of English fans who are frustrated, like I don't want to sit here and make it sound like we're belittling you and saying to you, be happy with this. You you've just won your group. I do get it a little bit because uh, what's the stat, JJ? They this stat has maybe changed by now, but. Through their third game, there were still a couple other, a few other teams hadn't played three games yet, but they had created the fewest chances um, in the tournament up to that point, I believe. Oh wow! Um, what's the, I'm looking at the exact stat now. England had created the the fewest chances of any team that had played three games at that point. I, 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 so I, like so so let's look at it. You they had a, a, an xG of zero point zero zero in the second half. 
against the Czech Republic. And, I mean, it wouldn't have been far off that in against, the, in Scotland. Sc- against Scotland, no. Um, so there are things that an English fan could look at and say, like, you know, for me, I kind of lived it with Mourinho's Tottenham, where, you know, they led a lot of games, Tottenham, under Mourinho, playing uh, this style. Um, but it was always on a knife's edge. Now, with England, they haven't gotten burned by it. That, that you know, that cheap handball review VAR like Tottenham against Newcastle, that hasn't happened to England. But when you're playing this way, as I came to find out personally, you're always just that one moment away from it coming back to bite you. Right. That just hasn't happened for them yet. And there's also the form of Harry Kane. So Harry Kane seems undroppable. Now, all the people... He played a lot better in their in their most recent game. I really thought that he did. He took, you know, he had that one chance that he created uh, where he took it from the uh, on the left and kind of played it back, and took it across goal. It was a nice save. I thought he, I thought he, he did look better. But the player of the moment is is obviously Jack Grealish, and so there was a clamor, a real clamor now, and it's it's, it's only going to be, I mean, South gets in the position now. Does he go back to Sterling? Does he go back to Foden? Does he go back to Mount? Will he have those options? We don't know. So, yeah. I don't think... I thought I had heard most recently that Mount will not be ready, will not be available for their next game. Right. He. I think the timeline was that if he is cleared to play, he won't have done any training with the group in that period of time. Now, Roy Keane was asked on ITV last night, does that matter? And he said, no, I don't think so. I think he knows the system. Garrett likes him, so we can play him. Um, but Southgate may not want to do that. It may be the excuse now, Andrew, he needs to play uh, Saka and play Grealish. Not excuse. What am I looking for here? Maybe his head's been turned by what he saw against the Czech Republic. You know, because there was those moments of cohesion. Saka looked like someone who could go at someone, get him behind, be direct in a way that we didn't see with Foden, in a way that we didn't see... Maybe so much with Sterling enough. Sterling is such an interesting one. Mm. England have scored two goals. Right. He scored both of them. It has to count for something. It just does. Yeah, but but you know when an England fan gets the bit between his teeth, it's you know why isn't why isn't Grealish in the team? Why can't we get Grealish in? Um, I was listening to someone talk about uh, Jack Grealish the other night, and you know what was the first comparison? Paul Gascoigne. You know, because Gascoigne was that figure that, not in good form, he still has to play for England because he can change a game. Mm-hmm. He's overweight, doesn't matter, plays for England. Now, obviously, Jack Grealish is none of those things. No. But maybe it's time for him to start. And once that clamour builds, and once it builds even a little bit in the media, it, def- it definitely pressurises the England manager. Well, he did the things, I mean, the thing is, he came in and did the things that you expect him to do. He set up the Sterling goal. Right. It was a great assist. He drew foul after foul. Right. It seemed like every, I, was, I was working during the game, but I felt like every time I looked up, he was down. You know, he had been taken down by somebody. Side note, long, long term, how long, how much longer in his career, like he's 25 now, is that like plausible for him to keep doing that? Because, I, I mean, surely it's racking up injuries, your body, every time he hits the ground. I don't know. Speaking of him, you found a clip. Yeah, so he was talking to TalkSport last week. Mm-hmm. And I, I, this is not, you know I love the Irishman Jack Grealish uh, more than the Irishman who has three caps, Declan Rice. <laughs> but um, maybe I'm old. Maybe I'm Principal Skinner here. It's, it's no, it's the kids that are wrong. No, but maybe it's me. He was asked 
a question, or he was a question was put to him about something Dean Smith said about him. Have a listen. Dean Smith also says you're an encyclopedia of football. Where, where does that come from? A what? An encyclopedia of football. I don't know what that means. This an encyclopedia. Well, you know what an encyclopedia is. So basically, you have an, an encyclopedic knowledge of football. So you know everything there is to know about football. So an encyclopedia is a book that has descriptions of every word and thing and everything else in it. And that in terms of football, you have an encyclopedic knowledge. Oh, um... <laughs> he does not have an encyclopedic knowledge of encyclopedias. Right, so is it me now? Is it possible that there's a generation, someone who's 25, who wouldn't have come across an encyclopedia because of online and because of Wikipedia and because of the access to technology and all that? There's no reason, none whatsoever, that he should have ever picked up an encyclopedia in his life. Let's right. be honest. Yeah. Now, does that excuse him from not even knowing what one is? I don't know. I don't know either. I guess this, like, we're not that old, you and me. No. But maybe this is just one of those defined generation gaps. That we it's had hard a bookshelf of them. Oh, yeah. What, what, uh, you, I bet you, you were an Encyclopedia Britannica. No, guy. I believe we were Funk and Wagnalls, I Ooh, think is what it was called. I have never heard of them. Yeah, I think Funk that, and Wagnalls. We were so. World Book. World mm-hmm. Book came to our door. It was a genuine job for people was to sell for encyclopedic, uh, encyclopedic, encyclopedia companies. And we got World Book and we went with it. I don't think my father would have allowed Encyclopedia Britannica inside it, the door. Encarta was the beginning of the end of the encyclopedia. What was Encarta? It was, an, it was um, like a program. Right. I don't think it was quite internet. I think it was like a, a computer program of encyclopedia, basically. It was like interactive. There were videos and things that you could play. But now that, I mean, it's all over. The internet has, like you talk about like industries that have gone defunct because of the internet. Or, or technology, like beepers gone because of cell phones. Like the encyclopedia is—it's sad. A lot of people in the Britannica offices just looking for work. Me and you—we're going to bring it back. <laughs> I think the world needs more encyclopedias. Um, I, I saw this tweet last bit on Jack Relish. Um, this was from Taylor Twelman JJ, which I, I found this very relatable. Okay. He said the conversation surrounding Grealish is very similar to the conversation surrounding Pulisic with his club. Yet the USMNT lot is criticized by the same lot who make Grealish seem like the second coming. You can't have your cake and eat it too. What does he mean? That we that that English people think, or Europeans think we talk too much about how great Pulisic is. Right, and they may say, fa- like, relax on Pulisic. Right. Like, Chelsea, like, we don't even, we don't care about him. It's not a big deal. And Twelman is saying, but you guys are the same people who are obsessing over Jack Grealish not being in the starting lineup. It's kind of how American fans feel about Pulisic not being in the starting lineup. Now you understand how we feel. I, I, I think there have been players, uh, not to disagree with, with Taylor Twelman's point there, but to absolutely disagree with it. I think this is different. In England, and you can pick the players because you've seen some of them yourself. They played for Tottenham. Uh, Glenn Hoddle. Hoddle's got to play. Got to play Hoddle. He's world class. Gascoigne. Scholes. I mean... There was <laughs> clamours for schools to get him out of uh, retirement when he retired under Sven Joran Eriksson. You know, there's this kind of player that the English hold on to. And they talk about, we don't have a Gaza anymore. We don't have a Glenn Hoddle. We don't have a... And when they see someone like Grealish with his boyish good looks and the socks down around the ankles, his ability to take a player on, um, they think of 
those players, those skillful players of yesteryear. And um, I, I think it's a uniquely, not uniquely English, it's a, but it's a very English thing. The best player to play for England at any given moment is the team, is the player that's not in the starting 11. Always. Always. Uh, JJ, third thing I wanted to get to here from the group stage, imagine being a Denmark supporter. But can, can I go back on something there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, just before we get out, just a quick word on Scotland-Croatia. Um, I don't think this drop has ever been more, um, more prescient than right now. Doesn't it make you proud to be Scottish? It's being Scottish! To be without Billy Gilmore for that game was just it set them up for the ma- for a massive fall. Um I thought they played actually quite well for about maybe an hour and then it got away from them and Luka Modric scored one of the great goals. In fact, right now as good as Schick's goal was, that's my favorite goal of the tournament. It's still Schick for me. Yeah. Schick Schick is one and then Modric and Christensen you can kind of uh, almost a toss up for me. All right. Um which is a segue back into what we are going to be talking about with Denmark. And I would say of everything that happened in the group stage, um, at least the third game of every team's group stage, I think for me that was the most enjoyable to watch. Um, it was just because of like you think of where that team, that fan base, where they were in match one, and just the I mean, the despair, the horror. Like, I don't even know the right way to describe whatever it was that, you know... Trauma. Yeah, yes, um, that they were feeling. And then to kind of just see that outpouring of joy um, and knowing that Christian Eriksen is okay, uh, like, it just, it felt right for it to go down that way. Did you think at full time that they were trying to FaceTime him in a group? On the field. Did you see that? No, I saw what they were doing. I thought they were monitoring what was going on in the other game to make sure. <laughs> yeah, there was a guy just hitting refresh on on, on, on a live score app. Yeah. I thought they were going to call him. I just thought this is going to be the most amazing moment. <laughs> no, just checking the score. He's fine. Yeah, <laughs> Don't worry yeah. about him. He's fine. Uh, it was unbelievable, Andrew. And I must say, um, you know I have my little foibles. There's little things about soccer and tournaments that kind of, I don't know, they turn me on. Mm-hmm. The Parkin Stadium turns me on. What great... Great facility. Uh, unbelievable. I want all grounds to be built with that idea in mind. The stands close to the pitch, on top of the pitch, no big gaps behind the goals or the sidelines. Four unique stands. They're not quite the same. And it just generates this amazing noise and atmosphere. And the Danish fans were unbelievable. Christensen's goal, which we heard in, in the opening, was just unbelievable. The hairs on the back of your neck. And like that's one thing about international football when your team isn't there. You can still feel emotions for countries that you have never even visited, never even like thought too much about. And you know, I, I started out hating Denmark because of the way they, <laughs> they beat up on Ireland in qualification, but that moment when he the two saves. It was the perfect build-up because the Russian goalkeepers made two really good saves and the ball breaks and it's the hardest shot and it just rolls towards him and he nails it. What a moment. It really was. Um, And you're right, the atmosphere in that place for that moment. Copenhagen, I would say, is rapidly rising, JJ, on my list of cities I've never been to that I think I would like to go to. I've heard only good things from people that have been there, about the people and the city itself. There's a restaurant restaurant there. I don't remember what it's called, but I believe it was profiled on Parts Unknown with Anthony Bourdain. Right. Um, And it's widely considered to be the greatest restaurant on earth. 
I don't remember what it's called. Maybe while you're talking at some point, I'll try to look it up. Yeah, why though? Like what? what? So I looked at it like, when they when they did it. A lot of the food there is so it's like food that you would never even think of eating, okay. like moss. All right. And like things like that, but I guess it's just like otherworldly in the way that it's prepared, and it's just so unique that it has this reputation. I eat deep fried moss. If you deep fry anything, it's probably going to be great. Yeah, but that's not what they're doing there. No, it's. I got to start watching some Bourdain because it's. Uh, There's a movie coming out about him. Yeah, but yeah. but but like a documentary, you, not like a drama. But so many of your references to to cities was, that I haven't been to is through Parts Unknown. Yeah, it was one of my favorite. One of my favorite shows of all time. By the way, um, back to the the Danish team mm-hmm. itself, they are kind of fueled by something now. And even in the Belgium game, which, by the way, if we're picking a game of the tournament or an enjoyable game of the tournament, that was unbelievable. Like from the emotion, from the tenth minute when Belgium were reluctant to kick the ball out because they were one nil down, the the Polson goal, such a such an exciting start to the game, and then to the Belgium just unleashing their brilliant players upon Denmark. But if you take that away, and I know it's it's a big but, De Bruyne, Lukaku, Hazard linked amazingly, but for most of that game, Denmark were a real threat. Absolutely. And again against Russia, they had their wobbly spots, but they were very, very good. And you'd have to favour them now going forward. We'll get to the knockout stage because, uh, yeah, there are... There are things. There's, there's a possible pathway there, um, but yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the Belgium Belgium game just because it is worth mentioning. That I mean, God, when Belgium want to turn it on, they're as enjoyable to watch as any team that I've seen in years. Like I'm trying to remember the last time I watched a team where I was just like saw them scoring goals, where I was just like, that's perfect. The the goal who was it for the the equalizer um, where De Bruyne comes in slaloms cuts it back was that was that Hazard that scored that goal um, unbelievable and then Hazard's own goal where it comes across his body and he whacks it on his left foot past Schmeichel um, the move for that goal we'll talk more about Belgium later on there is question marks over them but it's certainly not an attack uh, a team right now that is fairly limited in the way of question marks and that is Italy. JJ, they have been truly dominant so far through the group stage, and in the greater context, they've been dominant as well. 30 straight unbeaten. For them, that is tied for the most that they've ever gone unbeaten with their teams from 1935 through 1939. The double World Cup winning sides. Uh, amazing what's going on with them right now. It's incredible, and they're joyous. Mm-hmm. I, I have to be honest with you. I've grown up with Italian teams being great and having great players. They've never had joy like this, apart from 2006. And that was only upon the final whistle. Not only, that's not fair. They were good throughout that tournament. But I've never really seen this kind of togetherness, this collective nature to the Italian team. There's no rancor. There's no, I, You're hearing nothing behind the scenes. Nobody's... Winning mo- helps. Winning does help, Andrew, but there just seems to be a togetherness, even the way they sing the national anthem, which they've, again, people say, well, they've always sung that with much gusto. I see something different. (laughs) Is this confirmation bias? Am I trying to talk myself into Italy? (laughs) No. Allow myself to roll back. I will uh, will roll back on this. One one thing. Turkey were abysmal. Mm. Are abysmal. I mean, dark horses. That dark horse died. Was shot and put in the glue factory. Dreadful. Oh, Lord. I know, I'm sorry, the imagery. Uh, not a good horse. A bad horse. Uh, I, and again, the Swiss were poor. But 
Italy imposed their game upon them. And then the third game against the Welsh, well, that was a different Italian team, but the Italian B-side looked very impressive too. So I'm just trying to temper it a little bit going into the knockout stages. But I, I, I was thinking about Roberto Mancini, and he was a fantastically talented player for Italy, but he... Sorry, he was a fantastically ta- talented player in Serie A, but not for Italy. Like, he was the kind of outside guy. There was Roberto Baggio or, for a period, Gianfranco Zola ahead of him. Mm. And I'm just thinking, is he a manager that, as a creative, skillful player, maybe didn't find a home with the national team? Or, as he says himself, owes the national team a debt and wants to bring this amazing football to what's usually seen as a negative, dour international side? It's interesting, because I was thinking about him and how, you know, it felt like, you know, because he obviously oversaw Manchester City's initial title. Um, right. But it felt like he wasn't really given the sort of credit for that that you'll often hear Pep get. You know, it felt like that because that was sort of the new the wave, the initial wave of the new money at Man City. Right. It was kind of attributed solely to that. This idea of, well, anybody could have led them to that title. And we came to find out in the years since that, no, that's not true. Manchester City did not win every single year. It takes somebody who's talented. And I just wonder if maybe time has kind of added a little bit of perspective and what we're seeing him do with Italy has added even more perspective. And I just wonder if he threw his name back into like the managerial club ring. Oh, I think so. Is there a team on earth right now that, like, would he be the hottest name out there? Um... I'm not going to go that far, but I think what you're saying is correct because we're making, we're constantly making the argument there isn't enough time in international football to do all these things. Well, look what he's done. Mm-hmm. He's literally turned around the style of play of the Italian team from a really low point. And he's brought in all these young players and he's brought this kind of collective spirit. They press. They go after the game. And when they get the ball, they're constructive. This is not... Your grandfather is Italy. This is not my Italy from the 90s. And they're still tight at the back, Andrew. So take their set pieces against Wales. They had the goal, which they scored, and then they had a set piece in the second half, which were like these fairly elaborate, intricate set piece plays. Well, there's no time to do that in international football. Well, Mancini's finding a way to do it. By the way, um, I talked about his career, which didn't quite happen for him at the national team level. And you know what we can blame for that? It started badly. And it started here in Manhattan. And this is from The Athletic. This, to me, this is amazing. So he was a child prodigy. Uh, a night in Manhattan at 18. A dream for a boy from Campania. Roberto has dinner with the other players at a fine restaurant, then goes with three or four of them to Studio 54, the most famous disco in the world. He has told me many times about that night. So they're on tour. It's a, like a, a preseason tour. They're playing Canada, the United States, and um, they're in Manhattan. My English was very poor, Mancini says. I tried to hook a beautiful girl, but talking with her was too hard, and I gave up. It was amazing anyway, and I didn't notice how fast time was passing. Bright lights, great music, smart people, fun everywhere. When Marco Tardelli told me, showed me his watch, I felt like dying. Five o'clock in the morning. We entered the hotel atrium at six with the sun rising in the sky. Marco was an expert nighthawk. One step in the hotel and he vanished to his room. I was trying to do the same when Cesare Maldini, Enzo Berzot's assistant, called me with a serious voice. Mancini, the head coach is waiting for you in the breakfast lounge. Panic, fear. This is the end. Hmm. Berzot told him he'd never play for him again. And he didn't. He didn't go to the 86 World Cup. He came back into the squad for Euro 88. 
didn't play in Italian 90 but was in the squad and then didn't play a minute in in USA 94 wow. and his career gone so this is almost like a man living vicariously through a man possessed to rewrite his legacy with the Italian national team I think so and it all happened one night in Manhattan Andrew. it's like uh, Herb Brooks right he was left off of the US team that won the gold medal in 64 okay like he was the final cut I believe and then he obviously rewrote his legacy with the 1980 Miracle on Ice team so yeah that's, that's Mancini one that, day there'll be a movie made about him I hope so and he's <laughs> going to look so dapper in it those are many those are many suits Andrew oh yeah he's he's definitely very high on the handsome manager power rankings he's There's ver- no question about that I, he stayed felt. He has not because some guys when they hit their late forties, early fifties, they right, get you get like a, a little weird. bit of a Steve Bruce going on. <laughs> you went straight to Bruce. <laughs> Such an unfair comparison. Big Sam, a man. Oh, Big Sam, stop! <laughs> you get weird. it happens. It's going to happen to us. Yeah, well, not me. It's going to happen to me. <laughs> it's, it's, it's already it is my destiny. Yeah, you get a bit of a weird body syndrome, but he's he looks felt. He looks very yeah, very much so. Tight in the core. One last note on Italy, uh, because we're talking about how strong they've been in attack, how fun they've been to watch. Um, that has not come at the expense of their defense. That was something that we no. were wondering about at the start of the tournament. JJ, not only have they not allowed a goal, they've only allowed two shots on target through three games. Not, I mean, this is dominant at both ends. And who's your holding midfielders in there? It's like Locatelli who loves to get forward. Jorginho who, come on, you don't put him down as a... He's not, he's not as good as his, uh, his teammate at Chelsea in Golacante at, you know, screening. But it's working. They're getting mm-hmm. bodies back. They're defending. Chiellini coming out against Switzerland was in- interesting. Chiellini just like... F- he went to run out of the centre after Shakiri and decided, nah, uh-uh, <laughs> and took himself out of the game. You know, there was no, he was straight away, we're done. They think he'll be back for the round of 16. Does he go with him? That's a big question. Or will he decide that maybe Chiellini is like that other horse I talked about? Jeez. No, no, no. He's not going to the glue factory yet. (laughs) Yet. And then finally, uh, before we get to our knockout stage preview, uh, JJ, Spain. Boy, the dam really burst. I mean, Spain, they they had, through two games in the group stage, they had built up all somewhat impressive attacking statistics. Um, their XG through two games was 5.7. It was the highest of any team in the tournament, um, but they had, they had scored just one goal. It was everything that we had worried Spain might be. It was all coming to fruition right there in front of us. Lots of sideways lateral passing, no finishing ability, um, but they were still eking out points. They were still getting results here and there. But then today or yesterday, when was that game? I'm losing track of the Spain, Spain, Spain played Slovakia today. Today, right. Today. 5-0. I mean, you can't ask for much more than that. And so you wonder now if the expectation of Spain moving forward. Like, like I could hear a fan saying coming into today's game, you know, the only way I would feel good about Spain heading into the knockout stage is if they end this group stage going, you know, I don't know, 5-0. Right. Well, they did it. I said they should fly home if they don't score more than four on, on this Slovakian team because Slovakia were. They were bad. Um, although they held out for long enough, they had the penalty save from Dubravka, and then the moment that can only be described as, oh, this is bad, this is really bad. That's it. That's Dubravka as the ball. F- it's it, it's up there now with one of the worst goalkeeper moments that I can think of. It's shocking, and and, and I know exactly what happened. I oh, don't, yeah. I mean, it's gone up in the air. He's jumped too early and then realized, oh, this is coming down on my floppy hand. 
So my weak Tyrannosaurus Rex hand, not the strong hand to my left. Um, and it was just so embarrassing. And the, he wanted the ground to swallow him up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Spain were like the champagne bottle that Luis Enrique said they would be, and they would explode at some point, and they did. Now, Slovakia are bad, but Spain needed this in the worst possible way because the Polish game, Andrew, was not good. Again, a bazillion passes, a lot of sideways stuff, no real penetration. The Sweden game, exactly the same. This is a coach who has said he's going to take this team into a, a different way of playing, a way they haven't played it for in a while, if ever. I don't think that the 90s team even played like that, the the team with Caminero and guys like that on it, who were good but always failed at tournaments. So he is rewriting a very successful blueprint here and trying to get them to be more direct. What was good about today was there was goals from crosses, there was a little bit more of the kind of stuff they need to do as they move away from the tiki-taka era. And they're, they're, they're really struggling to do it. I mean, yeah. how many... What, what do we say was the game, the template we feared before the tournament for them? Russia. Russia at the 2018 World Cup, where they had, what was it, like 800, 900 passes in 120 minutes, and no good. Couldn't, yeah. couldn't get it done. They're, they're, like, they're the four-play champions. Right. They just can't seal the deal. Good Lord. I think that's worse than my dead horse. No way. Um, Very apt. Yeah, you're true. it's right. Now, Morata again today, the penalty miss. You just knew he was going to miss that. The man looks drained of confidence. I, I, but Enrique clearly likes him because he's going to keep playing him. Um, but they needed this today. That's all we can say. And maybe now, maybe now they kick on. We'll see. Uh, you know, it's interesting because... You think about the way the tournament began for them, and you wonder, okay, do we are we willing to give any sort of pass to Spain starting slow in a tournament where Busquets tested positive? They ha- they basically had like two separate teams training separate of one another, guys training on fields away from everyone else just to make sure that yeah. they had like a second team ready to go in case. Like this this began very unusually for them, and. Maybe you know Busquets is now back in the side. Obviously, that matters. You, know, you wonder if if some of that now they've worked out whatever kinks, initial kinks there may have been through such an unusual training process to get them started in this tournament. Or yeah. am I am I giving them a pass for something that maybe isn't uh, deserved? No, I I honestly don't know. I'm really worried about how bad Slovakia were and how much that plays into what Spain did today. But they had to do it at some point. If they had gone in with, say, a dodgy 1-0 and a victory and just gets them over the line in their final game and they go into the knockout stages... Because, Andrew, they're like a band that you loved their first album. You, you absolutely adored it. And it was brilliant and it was successful for them. And the next few albums after that were the same. Just kind of not as good as that first album. Because Spain at tournaments have, you know... They've been bad since the since the last what was their last twenty uh, twelve. Well, I would say maybe you're being a little unfair because what was the first album? Are we saying that three consecutive tournaments only count as one album? Couldn't the first album be 08, then they won in ten, then they won in twelve? That's three legendary albums. Okay. And now they're tailing off. Right, okay. That's fair. So they're kinda of like maybe Oasis. Let's go. <laughs> right, let, sure. Let's call them Oasis. Although they really only have two amazing albums, and then everything after that is kind of grim and stodgy and grey. 
I, I never thought I'd speak this way about a Spanish team, but watching them against Poland and Sweden, it was like I wanted this team to be knocked out. I, enough of this stuff. And a manager on the sideline who clearly wants to change things. Maybe today they change, but I'm, I'm just not sure. Fair enough. I'll tell you what, we're going to take a break. We'll come back because the knockout stage is set. We have all the matchups here in front of us. Uh, which matchups do you like the most? Which paths are we starting to see for a potential dark horse run? There's a couple very, very interesting ones. Don't go anywhere. More still to come. Oh, back now on Caught Offside in the studio together. JJ, you haven't commented on uh, this is the first studio that we've ever been in that has windows to the outside world. Yeah, they wanted to keep us away from everything so no one could see us. Yeah, it's like, nice though. Like the Phantom of the Opera, one of those guys. No, it's nice. I have it's- enjoyed being back in here with you. I will say, it's funny. Somebody once told me, I think it takes three weeks consecutively of being thrust into a different situation for like the human brain to adapt to it and and that become normal. Wow. Which is not a long time. No. I've always said humans are very adaptable creatures. And if that's that is true, then you see why. So it's almost weird looking at you right. and speaking. Why why is it weird looking at me? Why would you <laughs> say that? Cuz I'm just used to not now. Right. I'm used to not doing that. Shape now, of, the shape of my head hasn't changed since last year. You know, I'm, I look, it's just like I don't know. You're staring daggers at me. Like no, I, it's, it's it's back. It's now you you can't. There's nowhere to hide from my rhetoric. <laughs> I do. I usually you can't see it. I turn the video off on my Zoom, but I cower under my desk when you're yelling at me. Can, can I make an apology to a listener before we move on to the next thing? I'll do this quickly. Mm-hmm. I was out for a walk with a friend of mine in Brooklyn a few days ago. And she wanted to stop off at a place called Beer Witch that sells kind of unique and different and craft beers. And I said, okay. So I stood at the door and I'm kind of on my phone. And Andrew, I have my finger in my ear. (laughs) And I'm scratching my ear, looking on the phone. I look a bit, maybe not disheveled, but I'm certainly not sheveled. Okay. And um, a voice comes over and goes, are you JJ? And I look up and I'm like, yeah. And this very nice young guy wearing a baseball hat goes, uh, Oh, um, I listened to the podcast, and he's just very nice, very nice person. And I just suddenly became so self-conscious, you know, to meet, meet a listener in real life, me with my finger in the air. Now, I mean, I could have gone Yugi Louvre and had my finger somewhere else, but I didn't because I'm in public. And you're a normal human being. <laughs> yeah, right. But I just thought, oh, my God, is, is, my, is my hair okay? Is that? It's like I'm so, like, I don't know, being closed off for so long from normal normalcy and normal and and meeting a listener just adds another layer to that. But he was very nice. I've forgotten his name. It doesn't so now, sound like you handled it with much class no, or grace. No, I, I think I said uh, I, I I said oh um. He goes. He sticks out his hand and says his name, and I say, "Oh, nice to meet you." And I shake shake his hand and I say, "I'm JJ," but you already know that. Oh. <laughs> oh. I yeah, just just awkward, and I'm you know me. I'm usually quite smooth. You're definitely you're very personable. You're good with people. Right. This wasn't good. No. It was awkward, and no. I want to apologize to the person. And I, of course, now you definitely think I'm big timing you because I've forgotten your name. This is sad. It is sad. Glad I wasn't there to witness this. Apologies to everyone. So the bracket, JJ, is out for the knockout stages of this tournament. Now, do you want me to go through the matchups, and then when we're done, we can say which matchups we like most? Yes. Okay, so this is— Okay, do your job, please. So here is one side of the bracket. 
Ready for the names I'm going to read here? Italy will face Austria. Belgium will face Portugal. France will face Switzerland. And Croatia will face Spain. So in that half of the bracket, we have Italy, Belgium, Portugal, France, Spain. Apologies to Austria, Switzerland, and Croatia. But up to this point in the tournament, I would say that those teams are a rung below. But the teams that I, the other ones that I said there are, this is like the top of the top. Right. In the other half of the bracket, Wales will face Denmark. The Netherlands will face the Czech Republic. Sweden will face Ukraine. And then at Wembley, JJ, England and Germany. Oh, that is uh, that is one of the the tastiest ties. So, the, yeah, the the two games that stand out to me, and I would I would imagine most people would probably agree, Belgium Portugal is a fantastic, fantastic game. Yeah, and England Germany, just the history, uh, the fact that it's at Wembley, um, and perhaps most of all, the fact that. Somebody in that half of the bracket is going to wind up in the title. Yes. And we are guaranteed, essentially, of whoever that is, it being interesting. 100%. Now, there's people saying that this is lame because it's so lopsided, the brackets. <laughs> I tend to disagree. Um, it gives the chance, like you said, for a relative dark horse. I mean, for example, if you're Frank DeBoer right now, are you not? tingling somewhat with anticipation the winner of the Netherlands and the Czech Republic will play the winner of Wales and Denmark mm -hmm. just like the winner of England Germany will play the winner of Sweden Ukraine <sighs> and it, it's the, there is a there is opportunity here on that side of the draw for some managers who could who could do with it I oh yeah you think yeah and, and by is. the way think of how much worse it could have been had Hungary held on yes and it would have been it would have been there was at one point Hungary were going to finish runner up in the group at, today. It would have been England Hungary. There's in a, that game. there's a there was talk on Twitter from um, excited or excitable England fans who thought, God, I'd actually prefer to have Germany than oh. to have than to have Hungary. I think they need to take a step back. Probably do. Probably do. Although. That, again, another unconvincing German performance. Kimmich played out of position for a lot of the game on the on the right-hand side with Ginter. Donald, I mean, both of them seem to be, like, just crossing the ball. Uh, well, they put four past Portugal. They did, Andrew, but... That happened. I mean, I know did. there were two own goals, but... It did, but, you know, you know, Rafa Honigstein was on second captains, and I was listening to him, and you know what Rafa Honigstein said? Don't read too much into that because Portugal's fullbacks just got toasted by Gosens and couldn't figure it out and couldn't couldn't adjust. Why is none of that like? Why do we only want to discredit Portugal? How come none of that is you know Germany? That's another way to look at it. But 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 well, the reason is I suppose we look at them tonight, where it seemed in the first half, Cruz gets the ball plays a pass out left or right, a cross goes in or it doesn't go in, there was no central penetration. Uh, they'll want Muller to be fit. That is that is key for them because without an out-and-out out, like centre-forward, he can be creative, he can get on the end of things. Um, yeah. I don't agree with that, those England fans. I, th I think uh, 
I probably would have rather <laughs> hungry, hungry to be fair. than Germany. Are when, we even having this discussion? I'm just saying, people's minds were racing. They, 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 they could see it, Andrew. 75 minutes gone, nil-nil with this Hungarian team just like sat in with a bank of five in defence, three, and those two strikers that they used to harry around and press and just try and make things difficult. And look what they did to France as well. They have put together a resume, a portfolio of being difficult. But anyway, England-Germany. Yeah, England and Germany are going to meet in a major tournament, so World Cup or Euros, for the eighth time. Yes. It's the most England has faced any opponent in a single major tournament. The teams have actually split the previous seven, two, two, and three. Really? Yeah. Two, two, and three. However, England have not beaten Germany in the knockout stage no. of a tournament since? The knockout stage of a tournament, since the final in 66. That's right. They beat Germany in the group stage of the of Euro 2000, but not the knockout stages. Interesting. Very interesting. Of course, 1970, they lost in the quarterfinal. The Germans, and then 1990, obviously, the semifinal, and then Euro 96, the semifinal. And did you mention the, um, was it the round of 16, the when the goal... The non-goal, Lampard off the crossbar, bounced out. The, basically, the goal, For, <laughs> the, the, the goal that created goal line technology. Forgot about that one, where yeah. they got, in the end... 4-2 four, four was the final, right, from that uh, one? 4-1. Four, 4-1, one. Four, one? okay. Yeah, in the end, they were walloped by, by Ozil and Co. Yeah. In, uh, in Rustenburg, I believe. Wow. The other one that I mentioned there that was interesting to me, Belgium-Portugal. I saw a stat today that was... I almost had to do a, a double take in looking at it. Um, Bruno Fernandez, JJ, do you know how many games he's played this year? Mm. Or I, I should Hold say Six. in the calendar year. So from June 23rd of last year all the way through today. Uh, i got to be close to 80. 83 matches wow. he's played. 70 for Man United and 13 for Portugal. I mean, he is, he is Man United. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. He, not only has he played in all those games, but like as as we would talk about it in the NBA, he has a very high usage rate. <laughs> he is essential, yeah, and and never and never seem to be like to see the board go up with his number on it at all. Um, wow, that is a that is a lot of games. That game, there the star power that will be on display in that game is going to be fantastic. We should say we have not talked much about Cristiano Ronaldo, but he's having a very good tournament so far. He scored twice today, both from the spot. Mm. But it was a goal that he didn't score where I was probably most impressed. Um, just because he's getting up there in age, and you you just kind of start... The, sp- the sprint against Germany, was it? Oh, no, he scored that one. Sorry. No. To, uh, in today's game against France, in the second half, um, he rose over two defenders to attack a header. And he's just like... You just start to think at a certain point he's going to reach an age where athleticism starts to change. He's going to change the way he plays, like you know, like Kobe, right? Like become more of a jump shooter. Like he, he's not like in some ways he has, but his ability to still jump. He must have been four feet off the ground to attack this header nearly over two players, nearly scored on it. Like he's still every bit as dangerous. Like he is not fading into the background as some. You know, bit part, he is still very much like the most important player on that team. How much better of a person or how much better of a life do you think you would have if you could sleep for 90 minutes three times a day? I don't know. Like some kind of, there was a Seinfeld where Kramer talked about that. I'm trying to remember what sort of, he, uh, Da Vinci sleep, I think he called it. Like 
you sleep for 20 minutes every three hours, like something strange <laughs> like that. But then he like fell asleep in a I, bowl I of cereal. Re- I think Ronaldo does it twice or three times a day. He has a nap for an hour and a half. I mean, sleep is the key to longevity, my Clearly friend. he doesn't have kids until you have a child. Well, he does have kids. Well, then he's – how can he be allowed how, – how is this happening? He's a multi, 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 multi millionaire. He has people, I suppose. By the way, um, what are your thoughts on on the uh, who who like in the other games that maybe don't jump out off the page? Say France and Switzerland. Well, for me, why is that? That's a game for you that you you've earmarked because I have one that I can't wait for. I I think that's a potential banana skin. Really, and. Again, I don't know quite what it is about the Swiss. Again, their last game was against Turkey. Yeah, they. I mean, Turkey were just there to be beaten to give yourself this opportunity to play in the round of 16. That was the function they served within that group. But, yeah, France, I don't know. Boy, you're so down on them. And they're just going to Jill Ellis their way to a title. Yeah, actually, maybe I take that back. Croatia-Spain is more interesting. So, for me, uh, Wales-Denmark, I can't wait for. That's going to be weird, though. I can't wait for that game. Because the Danes are not going to be at the parking stadium. The only fans from either of the respective countries that can be at the ground will be, because of the travel restrictions, neither Denmark or Wales are on the green list for for Holland. Right. So that's going to be... That's just going... Nah, that atmosphere is going to be terrible. Not terrible, but if you're Welsh and you live in Amsterdam, it's your patriotic duty to get to the... IX Arena. It just feels to me like those are two teams, that again, could... being in this, like when I look at, aside from the, the relatively obvious ones from that half of the bracket, England and Germany, obviously whoever wins that game is going to think that they there's no reason they shouldn't be in the final. The Netherlands will probably feel that way as well. But I look at Wales and Denmark as two teams. I had said before the tournament, my overall dark horse was Denmark. Uh, and then Wales have shown in the last Euros that they can make a run. Whoever wins that game is going to think that they can get to that they can find themselves in the title. So, I, I really think that. I'm not saying I would not pick either of them to beat the Dutch, but I think that could be an interesting game. And I think both of those teams would go in confident. From what you've seen, is there any way that the Czech Republic beat the Netherlands? Uh, no, not in my opinion. Okay. I don't mean to be dismissive of, of the Czech Republic, but I actually think. Boy, like the Netherlands suddenly, like we all, it's it, it became very comfortable to want to make fun of old Frankie. But suddenly, like the the Dutch have become pretty enjoyable to watch. Having good players who can play in transition, having Denzel Dumfries, having yeah, he's been he's been fantastic. Having Genie Wijnaldum. Memphis has been very very good. Players who are really really good. Like they've scored a couple of those kinds of goals where like they're walking the ball into the net, kind of. A lot of them on the break, broken yeah. play. That's where they're good. Um, I, I'm not sure if they've really been tested yet, though. That's I don't think they'll get that test from the Czech Republic, but I don't know that for sure either. Sweden and the Ukraine, I expect Sweden to Sweden their way through this one. What uh, does that mean exactly? Uh, very, very tight at the back. Um, they will won't be afraid to lump a forward to Isaac, get knocks on. They won't be, you know, they won't be afraid to get the ball to Emil Forsberg, who I think... Is looking really good at the moment. Um, they're boring at times, and maybe they'll be concerned about the collapse against, well, not really a collapse, against Poland. They won the game, but the fact that they gave up a 2-0 lead was disappointing, but 
they'll be a tricky opponent. Ukraine, not been impressed by them, really. No. Maybe actually, maybe that might be closer than I think. I don't know. That's one of those where I'm like, hmm. And Italy against Austria, I just... It doesn't feel right now like Italy can lose that. And I don't mean to be dismissive of Austria. They've certainly had good moments in this tournament. Definitely. Boy, Marco Arnautovic has had a weird tournament. Very strange. <laughs> if he can keep his he's mouth shut. He's a very shot, angry guy. If he can keep, keep his mouth shut, he's got a, he's, this kid's got a future. Yeah. Um, I, I believe in the mailbag we have a, an additional question about Austria, so I won't go too much deeper than that. Okay. Um, you mentioned Poland. Uh, the only note I had on them, because they did not make the knockout stage, watching Lewandowski score two goals today, it just kind of made me a little bit sad that we're not going to see him in a knockout yeah, stage. Yeah, but, but they're not that good. No, they're not. But but he, I just, I love him. And I think it would just be cool to see how far can this guy take a team. Drag like, them. A guy. Like, <laughs> He's that great, and he he tried so hard today. He did everything he could. <laughs> He's such a great player, my God. Paolo Sosa's tactics board, like, just a massive arrow <laughs> and Lewandowski's face. Right. like Get it to him. Have you ever seen that episode of The Office where Dwight Schrute is trying to— uh, there's a situation with Stanley and Michael, and Michael's afraid to handle it, and so Dwight has a board up— of well, Michael, we can bypass all the people who report to whomever, and all the arrows then point to Dwight. I can handle this if you bypass protocol. Dwight will handle this. Like yeah. that's Lewandowski is Dwight Schrute. He is, except, you know, immensely talented. Yeah. Uh, let's see. If you don't have anything else on the knockout stage matchups, then we'll go to I'm, I'm, the mailbag. No, just to say I'm excited. Let's. let's oh yeah. Let's well, do a mailbag. Yeah. Uh, Cutoffsidepod at gmail dot com. Uh, Cutoffsideespn on Instagram. And uh, at Seo Soccer Pod on Twitter, uh, Brummel Cody starts us off. There may be overlap in these answers, I feel. Love this question. Which fringe club players? Now, I read that as players at smaller clubs or players. That's not how I read it. Who are, oh, you read it that they are on the edges at their clubs. Well, I'll give you my answer and you'll know exactly okay. how I read it. Which fr- fringe club players have increased their profile the most so far in Euro 2020? Could you see any of these players earning a transfer? Oh, yeah, I've probably answered this incorrectly. I mean, to me, it, it took me five seconds to think of mine, and that's Jordan Shakiri uh, from okay. Liverpool. I mean, he's doing it again. like, And now he's 29 years old. Scored two great goals the other day against Turkey. Like, the time is, is kind of now for him if he's going to be the guy somewhere. Because it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Where Liverpool. is he going to be the guy? It's going to be. Well, it in doesn't a, have to be. I mean, I know it's not going to be a big team. Oh, that's fine. But it also doesn't have to be Stoke or, or what was when he was with Stoke. I'm not saying he's going to go back to the championship. But, like, the equivalent of Stoke. Like, it doesn't have to be Crystal Palace okay. either. Like I think he, I think there's some place else that he can go, and I think he's showing it once again in this tournament. Um, and he talked about, or he kind of, kind of refused to talk about. It. He was asked about a move away from Liverpool, and he said, "At the moment, I don't really want to talk about it." Uh, this was last week. He said, "I have a contract there, and after the Euros, I'll talk to my agent. We'll look at the situation, and then we'll decide how to proceed." Um, and by the way, the Athletic, uh, it said in the article that the Athletic understands Liverpool will be open to offers for Shakiri this summer, but will not be desperately looking to offload him. In other words, he's go- he's to me, it sounds like he's going to leave. It sounds like he wants to leave, and it sounds like Liverpool would be willing to let him leave. And I think he's he's showing once again in this tournament that 
it's reasonable for him to want to make a move to a bigger side, whether it's, you know, I don't know what Inter can do right now. They're offloading talent, but maybe a club like that that needs to bring somebody back. Um, right. I, I'm, I'm just wondering, but like he's, he still shows that he can be a, a, an excellent player and it's not, it's just not going to happen for him uh, barring injury. Uh, to another player, it's not. It doesn't seem it's going to happen to him at Liverpool, and I, so he's the guy. When I hear fringe, uh, a player who, who's on the fringe of his club, who's performing, like to me, it's it's he fits the bill. I would have said Billy Gilmore as well at Chelsea, who boy, you have just uh, fallen head over heels. Ran, you? ran the show against the English midfield, looked so comfortable on the ball, and uh, then was denied the opportunity to take his country into the last sixteen, out of the group for the first time in their history with the. Uh, with a very strange conversation where, well, he denied England two players too <laughs> by having a conversation in, in, in the tunnel. And uh, yeah, Billy Gilmore for me, Andrew, I think. Uh, I, I also think um, Berardi will get a chance, surely, at a bigger club or go back. I mean, he was at Juventus for a while. So maybe he'll get a chance to go to, for, away from Sassuolo to someone else. Um, but the others I have written down, I got it wrong. I, I took it as fringed clubs. So obviously, damn scared will leave Sampdoria. Uh, Robin Gossens might go somewhere else other than Atalanta. Denzel Dumfries will leave PSV. But I've answered it incorrectly. Those things could all would be interesting, though. I mean, the, those players will now be on the map for a lot of fans in a way that maybe they weren't a week ago. And Locatelli as well. So they already are. They're already yeah. in the transfer rumors. Uh, Joshua, the atmosphere in Hungary is electric. What needs to happen to get the knockout staged solely in Budapest? It's like Victor Orban wrote this. <laughs> I'm joking, Joshua. I'm not comparing you to the Prime Minister of Hungary. 100% capacity for all games. There has been notice, notice, noticeably different than games held in Wembley or other venues. Yes, uh, there has been an atmosphere that has been better. I think it's been the atmosphere at the park and in Copenhagen has rivaled it. It's been amazing. It yeah. really has. Um, there, Wembley will have 40,000, I believe, for the round of 16. 60,000 for the semis in the final. Um, By the way, that I know that that's not going to be full capacity, 60,000 for the semis and final, but that's enough for there to be a great atmosphere. Yeah, and, and I'm with you. I was watching the, the scenes in Budapest and uh, France uh, versus Hungary, and I thought it was amazing too. Um, I suppose the thing to remember was when you looked at the black shirts behind the goal, uh, Colin Miller tweeted this out. A reminder that the Carpathian Brigade, the Hungarian Ultras group dressed in black tops behind the goal, regularly praised by casual observers for their atmosphere, have a history of racist chanting um, and regularly display the Nazi salute. So, There's that. There's that too. So there will be some people who won't be so sorry. Not that Hungary um, are out of the tournament, they don't blame the players, but that we won't have Hungarian or that element of Hungarian support um, at games from now on, although there will be games in Budapest, so you would imagine they will be there as well. On that note, I don't know. It just feels to me with what's happened, you know, I know at the Allianz Arena they wanted to light it up in, in rainbow colors. I know that Manuel Neuer was being, um, what was it, fined for he was being, a rainbow he, armband. Well, UEFA were investigating him, then called off the investigation. Um and then there was an, a request to the Allianz Arena to light it up in the rainbow colours that was denied by UEFA on the grounds that it was going to be done for political reasons. So, I don't know 
we don't need to go too deep on this. The only thing I wanted to say, JJ, is simply that UEFA has to decide whether or not they want to go all in on equality or not. Yeah. Like, like, I'm sorry. I just, I hold. There's a difference here between oh well, political statements. We don't want to dip our toe into those waters. To me, I just, I hold like racial equality, sexual equality. I just hold that to a different level where I don't think there's ever a time to shy away from it. And so I think UEFA talk, they talk a big game oh, yeah. about, you know, everything that they're doing, you know, kick it out. I don't know if that's a UEFA thing or if that. It's not, but I know what you're saying. The respect. Yeah, the, like they, they talk a big game about everything, but like then in these moments, it just feels like they're not willing to go all in on it. And that sometimes is, is disappointing to and, me. And, and uh, they released a statement today that was just contradictory. I'll give it to you quickly. Today, UEFA is proud to wear the colors of the rainbow. It is a symbol that embodies our core values, promoting everything that we believe in, a more just and egalitarian society tolerant of everyone regardless of their background belief or gender some people have interpreted UEFA's decision to turn down the City of Munich's request to illuminate the Munich Stadium in rainbow colours for Euro 2020 match as political on the contrary the request itself was political linked to the Hungarian football team's presence in the stadium for this evening's match with Germany for UEFA the rainbow is not a political symbol but a sign of our firm commitment to a more diverse and inclusive society I mean the contradictions in, in that are clear, and I agree with you. You can't be on both sides of the fence on this one. And also, when you tweeted out last year uh, with the rainbow in, in, in on your official Twitter feed, it's great that uh, the European Championships 2020 is going to be a inclusive tournament. It's going to be a rainbow tournament. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that mean then? You know, it's just, it's hypocrisy. And basically, UEFA should just own the fact they didn't want to upset the Prime Minister of Hungary. Basically it. Anyway. Cody Knorr. How do you guys feel if Tottenham... Oh, by the way, I hate... I, I, Cody, I don't care for this question. This is all Andrew. Okay. How do you guys feel if Tottenham sold Kane for £100 million and brought in Laporte and Sterling, assuming they would accept? Personally, I'm all in. If Kane wants to go, we can rebuild as we need to. Then that would be a good start. Well, first things first, I don't believe that those players would accept that. So I don't think that this is feasible. However, having said that, maybe I'll live to regret this. Maybe I will be made fun of for feeling this way. I think I would do it. Yeah. I think I would. Kane doesn't want to be at Tottenham anymore. <laughs> like, so you took that offer the other day seriously, that it was like 100 million plus players. Yeah, I know. Ster- yeah. Sterling, Jesus, and Laporte, I think, were mentioned. I mean, I, I don't know. I just feel like if Harry Kane doesn't want to play at this club anymore— is that just going to be this permanent dark cloud that's hanging over this team? Is it? Do you want your best player to be clearly disgruntled and not want to be there? Doesn't that have some kind of rubbing off effect on a locker room? I would think that it, it could. I mean, look, Kane seems like a stand-up guy, so maybe that wouldn't be the case. But we don't know because he hasn't been in this situation before. I would say so far it's not off to a great start. Him doing interviews with Gary Neville, talking about – I mean, I don't know. So – those players are, are very good players. And $100 million, which if spent properly, which is a big if because Daniel Levy has a spotty record, but if spent properly, that's two excellent players, three or, or, or you know three very good players. So we've talked a lot about Tottenham needing a, a rebuild, but boy, that takes time. Well, doing something like this, maybe it wouldn't, maybe you'd refresh your squad a lot quicker than you think. And uh, also, who are you buying these, what manager are you buying these players for? This has gone from the Tottenham managerial hunt has gone from interesting 
too humiliating. <laughs> humiliating. Honestly, how many times can you it, the rejection? And it's only it's really Gennar- bad. Gennaro, I couldn't too, believe so. it when I saw it. It, it. And it's really bad because this managerial search has been so public with with whom they're going after that now Tottenham can't whoever they whoever they settle on they can't hide from the fact that it's going to be their twelfth choice. <laughs> like if this was done all quietly behind the scenes without us knowing every single candidate that was being brought into the building. Then, like, we wouldn't, Tottenham could at least lie to us, and maybe we would all think, okay, like, they're behind this guy. They were just diligent. No, we all know that, like, whoever they settle on is a guy that they didn't really want. I, I'm starting to think in the end it's going to be, let's just, okay, Ryan Mason, let's give it another go. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, what are they doing? Uh, hello, Robert uh, on that note says, Hello, gentlemen. My question is what will happen first? Tottenham will hire a new manager, or JJ watches the second season of Ted Lasso? Thanks for your time. I mean, it can only be Tottenham hiring a new manager because JJ has no intention of watching the second season of Ted Lasso. Saw the trailer. Wow. No chance. <laughs> uh, Matthew Brett. Uh, hey, lads. I'm an Irish-Canadian dual citizen listening to the Euros pods and hearing JJ calling Grealish an Irishman and his hopes for England to fail. I have to say that I completely agree with JJ's sentiment and I feel the same way about America as well. Now, what was that necessary? I don't think was so. Was that necessary? But kind of funny. By the way, I'll say this. I give you a hard time about that. Obviously, I know it makes sense. I know that Ireland and England are bitter rivals. Of course, you would be rooting against them. I mm. do I do get it. I just find it funny because all of your favorite players are, are English. <laughs> I, I think the bitterness is, is the thing that's not there anymore. It's more of a rivalry, thankfully. There was serious bitterness. Yeah. I don't hold that anymore. Even It's just fun to do this. Mm. Uh, Justin, uh, I find Dave... Uh, David Alaba, a fascinating player. He seems to be most comfortable, effective playing center, ma- uh, center mid, left back yet. RM bought him to play CB. Is it just a matter of not having a natural position and can do a job anywhere? Has his game transitioned or is he being asked to play out of position? I'll, I'll defer to you on this simply he because... He plays a lot I, of games at center back. I've been watching him play... And I just sort of think, like, I, I've now settled on the idea that I don't, I just don't know. I don't know what his best position is. Well, I saw him live uh, years ago, about seven years ago, against Ireland, play centre mid and score a late equaliser in a World Cup qualifier. And he was just brilliant at centre mid. He's just a really good footballer all around. Now, Real Madrid have, have brought him to play centre back, as Justin says. Okay. It's great that he can step into midfield and play there. It's great he can play in a number of positions. Um, but he mainly plays, or in the last season, the majority, 75%, I would say, of his games in the season just passed were at centre-back. I think of him as a centre-back. Right. But I don't know if that's, his, if that's actually his best position. And he never really, does he ever say, he always says, I'll play anywhere for the team. Does he ever say, look, I, I want to... Not that I'm aware this of. This stage but. of my career now, the best stage of my career, I want to play in a certain position. I don't know. Um, tournament format. Got a lot of questions on this one, Andrew. Feels like I'm seeing a lot of hate online for the current format. Is another change needed? Look, here's where I'm at. I think 16 was perfect. Mm-hmm. UEFA, FIFA, any of these countries, they're not going backwards. They're not going to have less games. I'd like it to go forward to 32 if it's if that's the case but then I think about it that's a lot of dilution in European football you'd see a lot more minnows is that a good thing I don't know maybe there'd be a lot more hammerings for teams don't know I don't like the the not knowing which third place will be in the I don't four like that best either. 
I, I think I agree with you. I I think thirty go making the leap to thirty two might actually be better than this uh, current in between of twenty four. I'm not all my ideal scenario is back, but well, then forget it. Forget it. You know it, it doesn't work that way. No, and finally, Eric. Carter- By the way, the other thing too is like, you know, I know that having the third place cushion. Yes, there are certain games at the bottom of these groups that it adds a sense of drama to because it gives a team, a, a minnow, potentially a chance of, of getting through. But it also reduces a lot of the drama at the tops of these groups. Yeah. Like, I, look, in the end, I know that things were a little bit wacky, but like, how much wackier might things have been in that group of death knowing that France, Germany, or Portugal, one of them was definitely not going to make it? Like, that's that would have added a lot to the previous oh, couple games. One hundred percent. It felt like a lot of games. I enjoyed them. They were fun, but it was a phony war. Like England hadn't played well, but had had already basically booked their spot. Right. Like it just, I don't know. It, it just, didn't feel great. It, it it to me. I know people will say that it can add drama. But I, I feel that the net loss of drama is greater than whatever the net gain is I, in, I, in the current form. I would agree with that. And Eric Carter rounds us off here. Best European Championship kit. I'm going to tell you I like Finland's home kit. Uh, Denmark's all-red strip, the Hummel strip that they wore against Belgium, I like very much. And uh, Sweden. Boy, that's interesting. We don't have any—I I listed four here, and none were the same as yours. Huh. Uh, I think there are some beauties in this tournament. There are some that I really, really like more than usual. I think Portugal's away kit, uh, the white with those thick horizontal stripes, I think that's really nice. Always the Croatia checkerboard kit. I just think it's so classic. I just love it. Um, Germany's home kit might be my favorite. Oh. The ones they wore today. I I don't know. I think they're very nice. That's their no, it's that they're, today they're, they wore the white with the thin, no, like thin faded black stripe. Right? Was they, that not? What, oh no, no, they wore black today. They're right? all all black today. Yeah. yeah, the games are just melding together for you. <laughs> they are, and then the French home kit as well. France always have a nice kit, but I really like their their home ones. Yeah, France. I think what I what I've learned about myself, all of these with the with the exception of the Croatian checkerboard, um, they all have some form of horizontal stripes and i think that maybe that's i definitely like horizontal stripes more apologies to newcastle and juventus but i definitely prefer horizontal stripes to uh the vertical stripes which is interesting because vertical stripes are supposed to be slimming i have weird body syndrome (laughs) horizontal stripes are not generally flattering maybe i'm trying to live vicariously through these guys you don't wear i've never seen you wear wear anything striped i have some horizontal i definitely have some striped stuff both horizontal and vertical, but I don't know. I like the the horizontal stripes more. But those four kits, I just met, I I love those. Like these these are ones that I think are yeah. high on my list. Uh, you're a, you're yeah. a polo shirt and chino and sneakers kind of guy. T-shirt, uh, not usually polo shirt. I know oh. I'm wearing one now. But right. I prefer prefer t-shirts. Nothing yeah. fancy. Not okay. flashy. Just trying to blend in. That's all. <laughs> Just get through the day, <laughs> and we just got through this podcast, JJ. This was this was a lot of fun. To be honest with you, Andrew, this was that was flawed from the ground up. It wasn't funny, and we'll work on it and get back to you. You see, this is what's happened now is because we're in studio doing this, and we're in our new studio where you have access to the drops. Like, what did that drop mean? You just played that for no reason. No, what, I, what wasn't funny? None of it. The show wasn't funny. The the pod was poor. Uh, no, you just wanted to play something, so you were frantically looking. Uh, go nuts! Hit them all. 
I bloody love football. Nah, the old favourites. <laughs> well, hey, this was great. Uh, and then, I mean, by the time we speak next, there will be knockout stage discussions to be had. There will be. We have ignored so many other things. I feel bad I know, even saying it. I know. I mean, last week it was the U.S. men's national team actual schedule for World Cup qualifying, which, let me tell you folks, is horrifying. <laughs> it's it's shocking. I know it's the same for everyone, but it's going to be three games. I love it. Three games in, in six days. Apart from one break, one window, that's what it's going to be. We should, we'll have to go into this in depth because... It's uh, it's going to stretch. Old we, we haven't even had time to mention Jacob Glesnes's goal. Haven't had a chance to. It's what he does. And he hit the crossbar. It had the right amount of crossbar sensuality. <laughs> and we didn't get to talk about the uh, U.S. Women's Olympic team that was announced today, which um, Carly Lloyd. Yeah, despite the doubters. Back for more. Yeah, the doubters. I love it. She went after a friend of ours. Oh. Yeah, Jonathan Tannenwald. Oh really? Yeah. After a game last week, uh, there was a press conference, <laughs> and Jonathan uh, was up next, obviously, and it was virtual. Uh-huh. And she just goes, "Oh, another guy that doesn't think I'm gonna, doesn't think I should be on the squad." <laughs> quite, uh, Oof. quite frosty. Did he respond in some way? We're gonna play this next week. We have to. Oh no! No, he didn't actually. Oh, okay. I thought he, I thought he should have defended his position, but he's. That's not really the place. He's asking a question on something else, right? Correct. I mean, that's not. He doesn't want to get into an argument. Uh, that's not. He the just forum. He just went, got on with it, and um, and then another journalist uh, was named. Uh, we've got such and such from the such and such, and she goes, "Oh, another one." There's a lesson to be learned here, JJ. Mm. Whenever an athlete tells you, "I don't pay attention to what they're writing about me," I don't pay attention. They're not telling the truth. They are paying attention, or if they're not, someone in their family is and is telling them. They all know. They all know. They know, and uh, it was it was frosty, very frosty. But um, she's keeping receipts. All right, she's whatever t- drives you. To- total competitor, and uh, those receipts will be burning and will be fueling her. Clearly, they still are, as she turns. As people keep reminding her, she turns thirty nine yeah. soon. Well, hey, this was awesome, man. I really enjoyed this. I love doing this uh, in studio again with you. This is this was really fun. Hey, I guess there's nothing left to say, but the the real version of take it later, fun boy. I'll see you. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 